and apologize for the delay this after this evening as we watched i was watching the end of the michigan state game as they lost to kansas state so if you had a bracket, i'm sure everybody's bracket is busted uh, this time of year march madness is to the point where i've gotten kind of lazy about doing a bracket by the way and literally just have now that you can have ai do it so i know i'm late but it was the end of I knew that people made me not tuned in right away because I'm watching the end of the Michigan State game. So, <laughs> but I do like putting the task. Welcome to another episode of Woodward Tigers here at WoodwardSports.com. I'm Rohelly Gassi. Alongside me is Uper, John, and Chris. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Rose, and Heart Media. And of course, you also can find us at Tiger Mile Report, TigersMLReport.com. Coming up at 8, excuse me, 9 30, his time, James Fox of Future Sox will be joining us talking some Chicago baseball and getting some his perspective on their farm system, which is not terribly good, but he knows the in and his outs, his work, his work is pretty good. So, and the Tigers tonight had a split squad game, the last split squad game of the year. And it was a while. It's been it's still going on, right, Chris? Yeah. Last eight, to eight, 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 eight to eight. Oh yeah. They fin- finished it at eight to eight tie. They called it. Yeah, Roberto Campos had the bases loaded, and he grounded out the first. I think. Yeah, so, you know that's a good way to end a gamer. You know, just I'm checking. I don't know if the Tigers went out and pitched after that or not, but uh, but yeah, that was that was the bummer. That was the one I would have rather seen. That was Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson and and a bunch of other interesting players got in there later uh, prospects. But uh, it's in Baltimore or Port Charlotte or whatever they play, and there's no Statcast, there's no TV, there's no radio. It doesn't exist. Yeah, that's They're why I like under the uh, cover of night. That's why I like baseball and basketball because they don't end in ties. Any sport that ends in a tie, not for me. I don't know. Yeah, at, at this point, I think they're just like, all right, let's just get this over with. But yeah, it is weird how the game on earlier, the Phillies announcers, by the way, would not shut up about Zach Short's name. It was getting annoying today. It was just like so short, you know, he's, he's playing short. It's like, okay, thank you, Captain Obvious. It's pretty clear that's what he does. So. But yeah, there's in terms of there's roster cuts to happen on Monday, so now we have a, a finalization in, in what the roster is going to look like. And a couple of people that went out, a couple of pitchers went out today to make their best impression. One of them was Tyler Holden. Didn't really make a really make a good impression. One two thirds innings, five hits, three runs. He did strike out three, but he allowed a home run. Miguel Diaz, who was sent down to Toledo, had a scoreless inning. But then Chase, it was Chase Fry, the other the other lefty who was fighting for a position, did not look too good either. So, but on the other side of things, though, another lefty who looked pretty good today against the Phillies was one Joey Wentz. So, gentlemen, Joey Wentz is right now with Michael Lorenz hitting the possible dial with a hamstring pull. It could be the potential that Joey Wentz seems like he's going to be the sixth or seventh starter heading up north. Yeah, it looks like he's going to be the fifth starter in, unless Lorenzen comes back quickly here in the next, I don't know, day. He would have to get one more start in, I think, before. Yeah, I think he, it looks like Wentz is going to head north at least to, to begin the year. And he yeah, he's looked good this year. Like, I, I would argue he's looked as good as Matt Manning for the most part. They've, they've both had a couple less than stellar outings. And Wentz got, he gave up a, a home run today that ended his outing to Trey Turner, which is no major sin. But <laughs> he did... It was kind of funny. He was, I think that was in the the fifth inning, and uh, it looked like he just was out of ideas to get Trey Turner out. 
they actually like he stood there on the mound for a while and then threw over to first and i think it was just like i don't know what to do and they threw <laughs> a hanging, hanging cutter but he had everything working against a really good lineup today i mean that was pretty close to the phillies opening day lineup you had castellanos in there you had turner you had real muto you had schwarber you had hoskins in there for one at bat unfortunately yeah. that would happen with him yeah Oof. non-contact um, injury oh yeah and yeah, he was getting swings and misses with all four of his pitches, but particularly the fastball and the cutter. And yeah, I've been I've been really pleased with Joey Wentz ever since he came back from injury last year. Or I guess basically after his first rough start, after that he's looked really good. That cutter has has really changed his profile. Yeah, and he's sw- thirteen swings and misses with today. I mean, to o- overall total, but that cutter really sets up his. In terms of establishing the inside part of the plate, I think he's done a really good job of doing that with that cutter. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I took away from today's start, too, was, yeah, when I think Trey Turner is still on a high from being in the World Baseball Classic. So there's, I mean, there's nothing you can, I mean, literally, you could probably throw a golf ball. He would still slam it somehow. That's He's been that good over the last week or so. But the, yeah, the hop, it was a weirdly weird injury where literally he was hopping Hoskins was just going to the going to the bag, right? And all of a sudden just crumpled over. Yeah, well, he was actually backing up to field the grounder. And uh, it was one of those things where he like, when I first saw it, I was I actually talking to you. I was on the phone with you, Raj. When, oh, yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, what? Like, it looked like, it, it looked kind of funny at first. And then I'm like, oh, no. Like, yeah, that was bad. Because he just kind of flopped in the air. Like, he couldn't, his first reaction was to, get off the ground basically yeah. get, get my knee off the ground as any way I can. And it was kind of, Ooh. and yeah, you see him rolling around. They had to cart him off and it's just like, yeah, torn ACL. That's that really sucks for him. And for the, the Phillies, I, the Phillies can weather it, I think, but for Hoskins, you know, he's been a quality first baseman for five, six years. He's going to be a free agent after this year. Yeah. That's what you want to see. Now. Yeah. You had a nice year last year. I think he hit 30 home runs, really got hot toward the end of the year, did some damage in the playoffs. I mean, Shame to see it. You know, one thing Raj mentioned just now, exactly what I was going to say, it was like, you're inside my mind. Right? That cutter or Wentz, he's on the inside of the plate. You know, I've talked about this for other pitchers in the past, especially when you don't have ultra premium velocity. I think it's important to own that inner half. And if, if that's the pitch that can get Wentz there, that puts him in a whole new light for me as well. So we're just going to have to see. And I think with Lorenzen, with the, with the season looming, and with the Tigers, who they are as a team overall, there's no reason to rush him back. I mean, he doesn't have to be there for opening day. They might as well give Wentz the first couple of starts and let Lorenzen get ready on his own sweet time. Yeah, for for Joy Wentz, just this spring, 19 strikeouts in 14 and two-thirds innings pitch. Not really a strikeout pitcher like you would think. And the other thing, too, is I just think for his long-term development, I just think he's better off facing major league talent. We talked about this on the last podcast about maybe him coming out of the bullpen or starting in Toledo, but I just think he should be starting in the major leagues. He's better off facing major league talent. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I've never thought of him as a bullpen guy. Never. I, I just, I've never put that thought in my mind because you have guys like Hill and Brisky and, and, and Chase Shreve is pretty much locked up the bullpen. I mean, he had another solid outing today, another scoreless outing. Well, I'm sorry, he did allow one run. It was his first run of the year, I think. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. And so the Tigers do have to make some interesting decisions here because. I, I put my roster 2.0 that they would have to four non-roster. And somebody asked me if that was a little aggressive on my part, but 
in all reality, it's kind of forcing the issue. The Tigers have to force the issue a little bit because one of the things that I you can say about Cesar Hernandez is, yeah, he's not going to be here long term. He's a guy that, okay, maybe you can give that position to Andre Lipsius, but Lipsius is not ready. That's what Detroit believes. And so if you have a veteran, if you're going to be competitive, why not put a veteran out there and play him at third? So that, that the question, Ryan Kreidler's had a really good camp too. He's still in camp. And yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I think for the Tigers right now, he, he had Kreidler playing center field. He could play the short, he could play short. So they have them all over. So they have some really interesting dilemmas they have to face. And you know what? That's a, that's a good comment there too about Wentz is changing his angle of the ball. And, and you're right. It comes out when he comes out last second, it is hard to pick up on his extension. So that's, that's a good call there. Stop it in our chat. So yeah, definitely, definitely a good, good call because the, the Tigers, again, he's a guy who I think is going to be kind of like a, a, a fifth inning or excuse me, a fifth, four for fifth starter in the back end of that. But uh, no, I mean, Trey Wing went enter. I almost said Wing Gander. I did not. Has had a really good spring. And he will probably get a spot in the bull. I I think he's got a lot lock in the bullpen. I don't know about you guys, but the, the back of the bullpen to me looks a little, I think it's solidified essentially. I mean, people worry about Tyler Alexander. There's no way they were not going to carry Tyler. They were going to have Tyler Alexander on his team. He was going to be on his team regardless. He struggled, but he's a veteran. So that's excusable unless he was really bad, but he hasn't been that bad. Just one one thing that I've been thinking of, we, we've discussed a couple times about the Tigers seem to, you know, like, hey, suddenly they have starting pitching depth, and suddenly they don't. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, you know what? No, no. No, Brisky and Hill are, are basically relievers now. Alex Fietto pitched himself back to AAA where he might be a reliever down there too. So you're looking at Joey Wentz as your sixth starter, and then after that, I mean, it could be Mason Englert as your seventh starter. It could be Wilmer Flores. Yeah. Or Reese Olsen. And Olsen, you know, was injured. So it's, yeah, once again, you just got to hope that they don't have too many injuries this year because it's all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it uh, this, these guys we had kind of penciled in as starting depth have really kind of pushed their way to the bullpen. So I don't know. That could be an issue later in the season. Well, give props to the Tigers for recognizing what they had. We saw Mason Elbert, Mason. Because he has been just his his outing the earlier this week was super efficient. He pitched, yeah, twenty five pitches, twenty one for strikes, three innings, three innings, twenty five pitches for three. Yeah, yeah it was. God. It was the most it's efficient. Been, been, I think one of the probably the most efficient inning we've probably seen all spring from a Tigers pitcher, and he's just going out there with a lot of confidence. And again, his motion too. He's got a lot of moving parts to his motion, but I think I put this in the article too. I think he. He could, you never know. He could get a start in early April. I mean, honestly, if they're going to have a slow ramp up for all these guys, you could see him starting second or third week. Yeah. Yeah. He's been, he's been awfully impressive. It's, you know, they were interviewing Hinch while he was pitching and he was like, man, I love it. Strikes, throw strikes. (laughs) That's what he did. And so, yeah, you don't want to rely on that guy as your starter for the whole season, but he may, he may get some starts by default. So. Yeah, that was an interesting call. I don't think that was their plan to actually have them have him as a starter this year, but it may work out that way. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that to your point, Raj, I do think that we've we've come up with what, three three non roster invitees. You had four. Who was your fourth? I'm sorry, I didn't. So I had. I'm drawing a blank now. I had Hernandez. I had 
Winger, Shreve, and then I think I had Ibanez. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ibanez was the fourth one. Mm-hmm. And he played a ton, but but he yeah. wasn't the World Baseball Classic, so that's excusable. Yeah, that's where I, I think they, if again if they weren't tr- either they're here's a couple things they're doing either they're playing them out so other teams can take a look at them or they believe that they can put them on the roster. I mean, again, and there's a lot of weird Zach short heat, which is really strange to me. I understand he strikes out a lot, but is it just bizarre to me that, I mean, you could, AJ Hinch likes Zach short and you know, he's got to produce, but it just seems it was. Yeah. It just seems a little weird to me that people are all Zach short. Another, another good comment too, from stop it. If you watch the hitters facing Wentz, he's absolutely right. They look miffed. They really did look miffed at times. I mean, there were some really efficient innings there, but, Anyway, yeah, I don't know. It's just really bizarre with Zach Short, but I know I know Uper is the champion for Zach Short, if you will. So, well, a couple weeks ago, I predicted him that he would stick. So I have to write, I have to write it out, right? But I also love it when I get to tweak some people who have, like, as you were saying, the unnatural distaste for the guy. I mean, who cares? He's a he's going to be the twenty sixth man on the roster. The and whoever they put in that job, if they're if this is a seventy four win team. They're going to be one with with him or without him, okay? Sorry to say. It really doesn't make that big of a deal. If they trust him to play a few innings here and there and play some positions, great. If the Babbitt gods fall to his side of the ledger for a change, you know, someone was making a big deal that he's 22 out of 150 or something in his career. Well, okay. Well, what if he goes 34 out of his next 150? Then he's not so bad. So we'll just have to kind of see how it goes. But I hope he makes it. Again, just to tweak some of the haters out there. Yeah. Again, I, and his golf game's really good. I know that everybody likes his <laughs> golf game. It's it was something that was talked about in camp pretty well. It was pretty it was pretty funny. So it was one of those things that the they were bringing up, and I was I was having a good laugh about it because as one not I don't golf at all. I'm not I know I know how the game is, works, but they're just talking about how. Yeah, he is. He has his own. Yeah, he has the. I think it's called the Compound Podcast too. So yeah, he's got a pretty good podcast too. It's usually ranked in the top twenty on Chartable. So he's doing something right. And the guy, yeah, he's got a you know charming personality. So again, I don't know why people are. I don't know what it is. What it is. Yeah, I saw the stoppage coming about Will Vest. Did you guys have Will Vest in your bullpen to start the year? I did not. No, I did not. I think that. You know, I hate to say it. I mean, he's been outpitched by several people. I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, Vest was really good last year, but I don't know, Chris. I mean, for, I'll start with you, Chris. I mean, I think personally there's some uh, – I think even Miguel Diaz to a certain extent has had a better camp yeah. than he has. Well, here's a sneak preview. My ugly today is the Tigers' bullpen. Ooh. And and I will just say that, yeah, Will Benz has like a 29 ERA right now. This trip. Yeah. He, he's been terrible. And he's got options, so they can send him to Toledo. It, it's one of those things – they mentioned it in the broadcast the other day, I think, that, that like – it's just the opening day roster. It doesn't mean you're going to be in Toledo all year. Right. Uh, and, and we've seen Will Vest be a, a competent big league pitcher. He just doesn't have it right now. And, and I don't know how you can bring him up. Like at a certain point, you, you've got to reward the guys who perform in spring training, right? There, there is sometimes there's a you, you get kind of grandfathered in if you've, you've proven it for multiple years in the bigs. But yeah, they, they'd rather have you trying to figure it out in Toledo than in Detroit. So I, I don't have Vest making the team either. So by the way, this is the new so stream. I I love Streamyard. I absolutely love Streamyard because they're always rolling out something new, and it's always something that users use. I'm not trying to go too far off the beaten path of the podcast, but if you're watching us on YouTube, 
we can now customize the layout better. So right now we have it's an Angler's appearance from the other day, and we're watching underneath. So we're not in this weird position where the, the screen looks perfectly good. I don't know what everybody sees or how's everybody's watching on YouTube, but it looks pretty clear to me. It looks pretty cool. So anyway, I, I'm just hammered by the technology of it all. We got a Brady budget, <laughs> so like we're all around looking down at yes. And if there's eight people in here, it'll go, it'll go right on top too. So, but yeah. Oh, well, what right there, Uber, what happened? Oops. Sorry. <laughs> so we should get into the segments quick because James Fox will be joining us in about, about 10 minutes or so. So without further ado, let's go inside the numbers and John, I'll let you kick off inside the numbers for this week. Well, mine was similar to Chris's. I think it was his ugly for the Detroit Tigers. My number is 6.04. That is the Detroit Tigers ERA, team ERA this spring. That's second worst in baseball. Giving up the second most home runs with 44, 114 walks. Teams are hitting 286 against them. Again, spring training, and you don't want to take too much, but the bullpen has definitely struggled a bit. There has been some some bright spots to it as well, but kind of not what you really expected. We kind of expected the pitching to be the the stronger suit of this team and the hitting not being so strong, but it's kind of been the opposite in spring training. Again, I don't know how much you really want to look into that, but you know, spring training, it's almost been the full spring training and the hitting has been pretty solid and the pitching, not so much. All right. You what about you? My numbers were are 90% and then 37 inches. The people who were watching the Mexico Japan game the other night got a real treat to see the young pitching phenom, Roki Sasaki. If you watch that four-inning outing, he did give up the home run. Obviously, that was his low point after giving up two, you know, kind of soft hits to extend an inning. But the guy looked really, really promising, extremely amazing. The 90%, according to the baseball savant, the most ever pitches or fastballs over 100 miles per hour with 25 fastballs in the outing in the start, by a starter. So he was really showing premium, ultra premium velocity for a 21-year-old out there. It looked like he had good command of it, too. It also had a lot of run. That thing was moving everywhere. So that was really impressive to see. But the coolest part is probably his second best pitch, the splitter. The splitter is pretty much everything we said we were told Casey Mises would be, except it is. They had him for an average drop of 34 inches with a drop of a maximum of 37 over three feet. I mean, are you kidding me? That thing dropped three feet. That's the definition of dropping off the table, right? The kid's 21. He won't be able to come over here for a few more years unless they circumvent some rules for him. It'd be wonderful to get him in the big leagues. I'll tell you. I don't know who would get after him, who where he wants to go, but it should be fun to see him in, in the pros someday. Not, not in the pros. He's in the pros over there, but in the major leagues. Chris, what about you? Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I'm i going to go back to Japan, but I, I'm to the point now where, like, the talent in Japan is so impressive, I just kind of want to make, make them, like, the AL Extra West. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> just just expand. The Far West. Yeah, the Far West, or I guess it's technically the Far East. But, yeah, I'm going to go with the other side of the ball. My number is 115.1. That's the exit velocity of the home run hit by Munataka Murakami for Japan on Tuesday against Merrill Kelly in the U.S. If you're not familiar with Murakami, he just turned 23. And he's the two-time Japanese Central League MVP, back-to-back. Last season, he won the Triple Crown and broke Sadaharu O's 
Record for home runs by a Japanese player with 56 in one season. That's, a, that's a record monster. that's been the same for a while, too. That's a record that's stood for a while, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah forever. I, mean, I think, I think I want to say Vladimir Valentin or somebody broke it. You know, a foreigner hit more, but the Japanese record, you know, he, he broke it that last year. And he didn't have, like, a crazy World Baseball Classic, but he showed up when it mattered the most. He had the walk-off double against Mexico, which, by the way, he had 111 miles an hour. And he hit that bomb in the final. And I was looking up, there were just 19 home runs in the major leagues last year hit that hard, 115 miles an hour. And they were by wow. most of the, mostly by the guys you'd think. Four from Judge, four from Stanton, and three from <laughs> Vlad Jr., two from O'Neill Cruz, and then one apiece from Pete Alonso, Wilson Contreras, Otani, Julio Rodriguez, Gary Sanchez, and Jorge Soler. So this is another guy who's not going to be the majors for another year or two. But you know, basically when he shows up, he's going to have as much power as anybody in baseball, and that's, that's pretty spectacular. I said, just bring, bring Japan on. Just bring them over. Let's. Play. I want to see these guys more often. Yeah, the when you're watching Japan, I mean the the, the little fundamental things, the way they're just like a fundamentally sound baseball, and it's, so, I you know it's even like some of the swings too. It's just like this. I don't know. Like I, I'm maybe I'm just trying. Maybe we're romanticizing it too much or something. But it's just it seemed like a different brand of baseball. And it's not that we haven't watched Japan before in the World Baseball Classic either, but a fish, they just looked really efficient. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. starting staff and just the, all the little things, even like we were trying to, when Mexico was, when it was a South Sandoval was cruising through and they were trying to do like the old school way of trying to button get on, which you don't see too often in, much anymore in, in the modern game, but they were trying, they were doing everything you would think that we see teams do before to get on base. Here's here's the way, how I view it. They play the game. That team, they look like a team that's been together for a long time versus a team that was thrown together last month. You know, it just really, that's where I think that efficiency comes. Somehow they kind of meld together. They really play well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're going to force, if the U.S. wants to compete in this thing, you know, I don't know how much they do, they're going to have to start bringing their best pitching. Yeah. Which which Japan does. I mean, those are some of the best pitchers Japan has to offer. And that, let's like, think, like, they're playing fundamentally sound, but they also have players. Yeah. They have guys, we talk about Sasaki throwing harder than just about anybody. Tommy is you're crushing the ball farther than anybody. It's like, these are legit best in the world type players, and, and they're coming they're coming for us. They've won three World Baseball Classics now out of, what, five? It's, uh, yeah. And, of yeah. course, it's all legit because A-Rod said they don't use analytics. analytics. Yes. Of course not, yes. That's, they're just, just throwing 102 oh, just based on pizza. Uh, they're not going to pitch labs or anything like that. There aren't pictures Shut of all those guys <laughs> dropping line. Says, the, says okay, sorry, um, the Japanese one of the forefronts in technology. Uh, anyway. Beautiful. Um, by the way, you know, this is how good he is in terms of the list of, and this is from MLB.com, the list of starting pitchers who've hit triple digits velocity in this, as many times in the entire game, pitch tracking, which goes back to 2008. Hunter Green, six times. Just Jacob DeGrom, twice. Nathan Ebaldi, once. Tura, once. He's just a fifth pitcher on record with 26 fastballs clocked at 100 plus miles an hour in a single game. So, and Uper, what was did you have a did you have a stat on the viewership or no? Was that or that heard you correctly on that or? Oh, that was actually from last week. It was the Japan Korea game. Yes. So for Japan, like sixty six million or something. So 
there's I got two inside numbers. So the average fastball by Saki, by the way, this is all World Baseball Classic. Because I, honestly, I know we're going to be going Tiger and White Sox heavy shortly, but just what we witnessed was fantastic. And so 96%, and that's the much of the viewing audience was watching Japan versus Mexico. 96% of TV owners or TV viewers in Japan were watching that game. So I don't want to hear. And Russo, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I think Russo, just, I don't know why. I, High Heat is just one of those shows that just sounds like an old man complaining. It's just, I don't know if you guys saw what he said, but. That was on first take, right? Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. That was going to be my, my ugly, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. We'll <laughs> save that for later because I want to pile on him later. But the other, the other stat I had was, yeah, the, the ninety six percent ownership or viewership and one hundred point one nine was or one hundred five miles an hour was his average fastball velocity in the semifinals. That's just throws hard. He throws hard, but that split finger was something. I, I what we watched between him and even Otani too. Otani in the ninth, he had him come out close in the game. I mean, he had to run out there in the eighth inning. He was coming down from the bullpen. That whole the whole set everything was awesome. And I really enjoyed it, and I'm, I'm glad that for, for everybody out there who's watching us, I hope that, you know, you, you got something out of the World Baseball Classic because I know our next guest did because he also had some representation among Team Cuba, and I'm, I'm not sure how much World Baseball Classic liked but or watched, but I know James Fox is a baseball connoisseur of many things, but James, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Hey, what's up, fellas? Thanks for having me. No problem. And we're just talking about the World Baseball Classic. Just kind of curious on. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I didn't watch a ton like till the end as a prospect guy. Like I liked watching uh, Japan just for when like Roki Sasaki was pitching. And we went through a whole thing on our podcast just about how like the system kind of sucked. And that kid's not going to pitch in the big leagues till like probably after he's 25 because of it because he can't make any money. But Obviously, the White Sox were well represented. I didn't really know how to feel just with Moncada and Robert playing for Team Cuba as guys that are like hurt all the time, pretty much. But, you know, we we avoided a scare at the end there with Moncada. But it seems like that actually, you know, kind of, I guess, like got them in rhythm and playing like, I guess, better than I thought it would. So it ended up being OK. Loy Jimenez was with the team Dominican Republic and Lance Lynn was pitching and whatnot. So. I think everybody pretty much came out unscathed, but I'm one of those guys like it's always scared to death about losing guys for my favorite team for playing in tournaments and stuff like that. So I would have been totally fine if the White Sox would have told those guys no, but it seems like kind of a big deal that it ended up working out fine. Yeah, the Tigers were really rather restrictive on Erod and Miguel, even though Miguel didn't really do much to speak with in the World Baseball Classic. So, and Tim Anderson had a pretty good run for Team USA too. So that was. That was important to see. And so for the White Sox this offseason, I mean, it was, I'm not going to lie. I'm one of the surprises they signed Andrew Benetieri. That was their biggest deal. That's their biggest free agent signing ever. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, they've had extensions that have been like more total money. But yeah, man, like Jerry Reinsworth never handed out a $100 million contract. And you've heard like all the, like they've had offers. Like they thought they signed Zach Wheeler for five at 125. People remember the Machado stuff and they were in on one of the prized like Japanese pitchers. I forgot which that signed with the Yankees years ago. But yeah, no, he's never signed a hundred million dollar deal. That's crazy. And and as far as in terms of the how the offseason went, in your opinion, 
Did the White Sox really address? I mean, I, I, this is a team to me that looks like it's one injury away from collapsing from my blunt opinion. It just seems like the in terms of you, you have a couple players and Dylan Cease and Lucas Giorgio who are on M- MLB's top 100, on ESPN's top 100. So there is some good talent there. But as far as the offseason goes, do you think that Chicago did enough to address the depth? No, I don't think they ever do enough. I mean, it's hard to address depth like with like 40-man roster space, right? Your depth kind of has to be prospects and guys that you can option like up and down, and they don't really have that luxury right now. I mean, you know, like I, I wanted them to let Jose Abreu walk just because like I didn't really think he fit like with the right. Now, you know, could you make the argument to trade Andrew Vaughn and pay Jose Abreu? Maybe, but those two couldn't coexist like with Aloy Jimenez on the same team, and I wanted them to get left-handed in both corners. It seems like they're going to do so. So they're going to be more balanced, but I mean, it's a team that's just, hurt all the time if they're healthy i think they can win the central for sure but like you said like you know you're relying on guys that haven't played full seasons and they don't have much depth so did they do enough i mean no but the payroll's really high it wasn't going to go much higher so i was actually surprised like i guess in a positive way that they signed better not that he's the perfect player I just kind of expected them to like kind of patch it together with something cheaper. So the fact that they even spent there, like I was a little bit surprised. Yeah. I want, I wanted to ask you about Luis Robert because I have a friend who thinks he's going to win MVP this year. I don't know about that, but what have you, what are you kind of expecting from him this year? I think he's kind of the guy Paul's looking at to kind of be the face of the White Sox and kind of lead that offense now that Abreu's gone. Yeah, probably. And I I just think it all, like, we're, look, I'm going to keep talking about health because that's, like, kind of what it depends on. There's a lot of White Sox fans that get down on Luis Robert because he's he's pretty frustrating, like, at times because he, he like, doesn't lay off bad sliders. And, like, you, you know, you guys have seen these players, right? But he's so talented that even with doing that, he's, like, a 290 career hitter that plays bull glove defense in center field. So if Luis Robert plays 140 games, he's a five-war player. Like he, he's going to be really good. Sometimes very frustrating. He gets a lot of big hits off good pitching, but he'll also come up and swing at three straight pitches, like, you know, and go sit down like other times. So I think it just comes down to like how many games he can play. If it's less than a hundred games, like, you know, they're probably in a lot of trouble. And if he plays like 130 plus, like, you know, they're in pretty good shape because he's, he's pretty good. James, my name, they call me Yoop, just so you know, nice to meet you. All right, man. Um, we're good. Tell me this. We we're one thing we can probably make bank on is Pedro Grifol will stay awake in the dugout, right? Yeah. And beyond that, what kind of upgrade do you think the managerial role plays for this team this year? Oh, huge! I think you could be in the dugout and it would be an improvement. And I just met you. You know, the, the Tony the Tony thing was very frustrating, more so because, like, it seemed like the front office was and look like the front office has their own shortcomings and they've been in place for 20 years. Right. So like if you wanted to clean out the whole thing, there's not many white Sox fans that would be upset with that, but like they built this team so that they could move on from Rick Renteria and hire their own guy. And then the owner hijacked the process and put his buddy in charge. And look, then you kind of talk yourself into it. Right. Cause it's like, Oh, it's Tony La Russa. How bad could it be? Right. From, and I kind of thought from seven to 10 every night, Tony would be fine. And he would have issues like with the players. It was the, opposite he was totally fine with the players he ran like a weekend at bernie's like team where there was no leadership or no anything 
And, you know, as everybody kind of saw, he, he was terrible. I mean, it was basically Willie Mays on a Met. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've always kind of been a managers or overrated guy. I, I think I've changed my tune a little bit after seeing Tony the Russo the last two years. But, yeah, no, I, I think it'll make a big difference. I mean, obviously, the players have to be healthy and play. That's the biggest thing. But absolutely, there's just so many things and instances where stuff was just counterintuitive. Like, Frank Menachino was the hitting coach. He took a beating. Hitting coaches always take a beating. I know, you know, the guy, you know, in, in Detroit, too, that used to be with the White Sox did too. And it's just what well, Scott Coolball you guys have, yep. right? But, and it's yeah. like being a big junior hitting coach is, is freaking impossible, right? But I mean, he has like a good message of plate patience and homers and this and that. And then, you know, you have the 76 year old manager that's, hey, don't be afraid to poke one the other way, you know? So it's just like mixed messaging all the time and along with injuries and everything else. And you kind of saw what happened to the, you know, the 2022 White Sox because of it. And, even with all that, they were still a 500 baseball team somehow. So even if Griffal's an if he's neutral effect versus the negative effect, that's yeah. Well, so I've always kind of thought managers like there's five really good ones and there's five really bad ones, and the other 20 are kind of the same. Yeah, Griffal's probably in the 20, and like I think I think that's like a huge improvement. The other thing, like Ethan Katz, is pretty respected as a pitching coach, and I'm curious to see just how different the bullpen looks. Like you know using high leverage guys in the seventh, that that's your toughest spot, right? Like some of that stuff didn't happen with Tony because he was, look, he invented like the modern bullpen. Like when, yeah. when Tony did it, like it, look, like I don't think anybody's going to take away, like, you know, take Tony LaRusso out of the Hall of Fame. But I mean, it's just not the way games are managed and the way games are played anymore. Having Job, he pitches the seventh, this guy pitches the eighth, this guy pitches the ninth. I'm, I'm very like interested to see how it goes this year when they're like probably not going to do that sort of thing anymore. You know, one of, one of the story you mentioned Scott Coolbaugh, and, and yeah, one, that was definitely one of the storylines around here was was how bad the offense was for the Tigers last year. It was historically bad, but the White Sox offense wasn't very good either. And and I it was it just mostly the injuries, or was it there's something else going on? Because like Montada had like a 76 WRC plus, and and you know, Robert did wasn't having a great season. Was you guys ever able to figure out what what went on there? Well, so I do like that the new guys and like everybody likes new guys, right? Like. You know, they're speaking the right language. Like, I think they're talking about pole power. So the White Sox, like, have had this approach for years where they, like, hit it up the middle the other way and they thought their power plays to the opposite field, to the alleys. And for whatever reason, like, their ballpark didn't play that way. And obviously, like, I'm sure you guys all heard the stories about how the baseballs played different in every ballpark and the humidors and all that stuff. And they just, like, didn't, they didn't hit for power at all. And they really don't walk. And one of the things was, like, they, they don't really strike out much either. But, like, it doesn't matter, like, if you're not hitting the power, right? Like, they just, like, hit a ton of singles. They don't walk. They don't hit homers. So that's the thing that has to change, especially, like, you look at the lineup on paper, right? Like, the White Sox lineup, like, they should have guys hitting homers. So that's been, like, a big emphasis this spring has just been kind of, like, they don't want to pull balls, like, on the ground, right? Like, if you're going to... If you're going to pull the ball, they want to pull the ball in the air and then the other stuff's to the opposite field. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, that, that's going to be one of the big storylines of the year. I think if they hit for power, they'll be much better. If they don't, then, you know, it'll be similar and the offense won't be very good. Yeah, I'm also curious about Garrett Crochet. I know, didn't he, did he get Tommy John? Is that why he was out? He did, yeah. And he's, well, due, he's due back, though. It sounds like he's going to be at Charlotte here to start and then... Early to mid-May, he should be back in the bullpen. 
Yeah. Do you have like kind of faith in your rotation? Obviously, Johnny Cueto was really good for you guys last year. Didn't bring him back. Lance Lynn kind of struggled a little bit last year. Giolito really struggled. What are you kind of thinking for, you know, the White Sox rotation this year? Yeah, so I think it's solid. I think you'd always like to, you know, you you hope that a Chicago team could go out and spend like on an ace, right? I think that was like the one thing they really needed instead of like, you know, you go out and you spend $8 million on Mike Clevenger and then have to deal with that nonsense like all the spring training, right? And and he's actually looked okay. Like, he'll be fine like as a fifth starter, even though the fans like aren't really very happy that he's here, obviously. But, you know, and then the rest of the guys that get the big bounce back season for Giolito, he's a free agent at the end of the year. I expect Cease to be really good. Lynn was good down the stretch, but was hurt a ton. And then Michael Kopech's the wild card. So, you know, kind of like Raj said on the way in, like, it's just like, if they have any injuries at all, it's Davis Martin and, you know, 2021 third rounder, Sean Burke. Like he's, you know, one of their like immediate guys and Jonathan Stevers, like another kind of prospect. On. So they don't, they don't have much pitching depth. So I think the rotation's good. Like if they're healthy enough to pitch, but if there's any injuries, like I said, like this is a, it's a, it's a pretty thin group, like depth wise, like at a lot of spots for the White Sox. So the White Sox are almost like Team Jenga. Yeah. Very like much. Like, pull that wrong one out there. I got a problem. So, yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, if they look, they could win 95 games and win the division and people would maybe laugh, right? Because look, like there's a lot of people that thought that they had the best roster in the American League, like going into last year. And then it was an yeah. abomination, right? Like they signed AJ Pollock last year. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, you pretty much fixed all your holes. Like they're going to be pretty good. And then they were, you know, the, maybe the most disappointing team of my lifetime. I mean, just like I hated watching that baseball team last year. Like you just wanted it to end. And I'm sure you guys have had these seasons where it's like, you know, I wish they were just buried. Like I wish they were 15 games out so I could stop paying attention. But with Cleveland and Minnesota, they'd get to be three games out and you get sucked back in and then they'd be five games out and then they'd be two games out and then they'd, Lose six straight. I mean, it was brutal last year. So, yeah, like part of me wished they would have been buried till we could have all stopped paying attention and just kind of moved on with it. But it was that was that was one of the more frustrating seasons I followed. Yeah, last year for for Tiger fans, last year was one of those how historically yeah. hundred years breaking in terms of offensive records. It was just it was insane. And we were just talking about the, the the new manager impact that will definitely help out. But what I wanted to talk to you about was a gentleman who brought us together because this was a few years ago when I was at Motor City Bengals, and I was asking about one Oscar Colas, yeah, who the the who I thought was going to originally be a pitcher, and this is how we got to know each other. And he's had a really good camp, and I just he he's seems like he's the real deal and. <laughs> Uh, is, he, is he a guy who's going to make his major league debut next week? Yeah, I think so. I think he's on the team. I don't think they have much of a choice. But look, Rick Hahn back in November, it, it was always kind of thought like the White Sox needed two outfielders, kind of like what I told you guys. Like they didn't want to play Andrew Vaughn in the outfield anymore, nor nor should they want to do that. You know, Gavin Sheets isn't really an outfielder either. So when you let Jose Abreu walk, you need two outfielders. Obviously, they went on to sign Benintendi, but at like the the GM meetings or whatever, Rick Hahn kind of mentioned Oscar Colas by name and kind of said like, oh yeah, he'll be given every opportunity. And like, they don't usually say that type of stuff, like unless, you know, they kind of meant it, right? He played seven games at Charlotte last year, but he pretty much blitzed the minor league last year. I mean, he's a 24-year-old. I don't think, and something we talked about on our show a ton, 
I just don't really see the point of him going back down because the flaws that he does have, I don't think would be issues for him in the minors. Like he had a really bad chase rate last year in the minors, like 40%. And he didn't walk a ton, but I mean, like he just destroys bad pitching. That's not going to change going to Charlotte. So he could have some struggle. I mean, for sure. I think he's, you know, it's big power from the left side. I think he's at least average defensively and maybe above average, but there's going to be some, I mean, there's going to be some strikeouts and, you know, a whole bunch of swing and miss and stuff like that. But I think it's stuff that he's going to have to figure out in the big leagues. So I'm glad that it seems like they're going to start him. And look at the off chance that for some reason, somehow he ends up like winning rookie of the year. Somehow, I think it's very beneficial to start him on the big league team because you get a first round pick like if he's rookie of the year. And it's look, it's I think he was he's like 25 to one, I think, in, in Vegas. So it's, you know, he, he doesn't have the best odds. But I mean, even if that's possible, I think it's worth like gambling to see. That's how valuable first round pick is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we actually had a, one of our questions was about Oscar Colas. It was from Jim Whale Wander Franco, which is a, a solid Twitter name. But he, he, he asked about how good he was. But he also asked uh, with, with LaRusa gone, would there might be a revisiting of the decision to not let the quote Cuban Otani pit? Or was that more of an organizational thing than a LaRusa thing? Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to pitch. I mean, I don't think he really ever pitched that much. I think he like pitched in relief and he had like a 90. That was like the weirdest thing. It, like, and I cover international prospects at Future Sox. And like, it just seemed like it was like such a disservice to that kid because I feel like it's not fair, right? Because Otani might be like the best player that any of us have ever seen, possibly, right? When this is like all said and done. And he's definitely not that. But he does have power from the left side. And it, it's like a plus plus throwing arm in right field like because he used to pitch. So no, he's just going to be, you know, mashing right-handed pitching, probably not, not pitching himself. Yeah. And, and one of the things too, about the, the White Sox that I find interesting as we, in terms of you talk about having any cats there as a, a pitching guru, similar to what players have with Chris Fetter. And far, as far as arms go, Beyond, or we're talking in terms of like double A or anybody that can can really call up along the lines of Davis Martin or even AJ Alex or Alexi, yeah. you know, like from this round. That there is there any of those guys that can really come up and and that the, the in terms for Chicago that could make a contribution this year? Yeah, so I mentioned Sean Burke earlier. I mean, he was a third round pick two years ago, I believe, out of Maryland. He had a pretty good year last year. He, he made two starts in Charlotte. I think he's some of their immediate pitching depth. The thing is, I don't know how closely you guys pay attention to like the AAA scene, but the White Sox Charlotte affiliate is in the International League and it's like all band boxes. Like their yeah. their stadium at Charlotte is insane. Like we talk to the hitters and the hitters love going there. But pitchers, like if you have like a 440 ERA there, it's like, you know, you, you did well. Like the ball just flies out of there. So I'm curious to see like, like he could go there and like his numbers could kind of not be great. And the org could think like, okay, we've seen enough, like, you know, for him to be like the next starting pitcher or whatever. So, but I mean, after him, like, look, the White Sox have a lot of like pitching depth, like in their system finally, but guys are just like really far away. Like they, you know, they've drafted college pitchers the last couple of years that I think should pitch in the big league, but it's not going to be in 2023 so yeah that's what i was wondering where, where do you think peyton payette is yeah so so probably canapolis and i think like 80 innings or so but he's ready to go which is interesting i mean yeah those those are like the kind of moves 
you should make when you draft like so they drafted Noah Schultz who's a local kid here in the first round and like high school pitchers as you guys know the riskiest demographic that you can draft six foot nine yeah right six foot nine lefty high school pitchers like the riskiest demographic in a riskiest demographic right so (laughs) when you're gonna do something like that and shoot for like top of the rotation upside like balancing it out with a Peyton Paulette and a Jonathan Cannon after I think makes a lot of sense because you kind of insulate yourself to two guys that are safer. I think Peyton Paulette would have been like a top 25 pick if he didn't have Tommy John in college. So, mm-hmm. you know, you pay that guy one and a half million dollars and put him in your system. And hopefully it's, you know, it sounds like it's all things go, but you never know. I mean, Tommy John's usually fine now, but you know, who knows? And if he could get 80 innings this year, I think he'd be on track for, you know, to where at least we're talking about him in 2024. I kind of want to ask you like the big picture with the White Sox because I think we know like for the Tigers, we're kind of looking towards the future. What is kind of the overall consensus with the fans? Is it kind of like, I feel like a lot depends on this season. If this season goes well for the White Sox, then they're probably going to continue to compete. But if it really doesn't, then we could see some guys being traded and maybe another rebuild. Like what is kind of, what are you kind of thinking there? Like the future of the White Sox? Yeah, I think it's a big question. I think like a lot of the pessimistic fans just like assume that they would rebuild again. I I don't really think they would, but I definitely think like they'll definitely pivot. Like if if this team underachieves, like they have a ton to trade, like at the deadline if they want to. You know, they you got like Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito who would be appealing to other people. You got a ton of bullpen pieces. You know, Tim Anderson's a free agent at the end of next season and their top prospect Colson Montgomery. So Look, I don't think they would like go full teardown again because I think they have too many like younger type position guys that are like under contract. But I do think they they could pivot and be bad maybe purposely in 2024 to try to win right away, like 25 through, you know, whatever. And I think they're a little bit pot committed and like Mm -hmm. they do have money at the end of this year where they could like spend to fill holes if they want to. And you're going to have like, Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn, and like some of those guys. So I don't think it'll be a true rebuild, but I mean, if they underachieve, like it's, it's going to be super interesting because the manager will be there and like the front office should like obviously be fired, but Jerry Reinser is very, very loyal. Like even with the White Sox and the Bulls, like guys are kind of in place until they decide to leave. And I just like, don't think Reinsdorf has the reservoir of contacts to even do like assert you know I, I don't know how it was for you guys when you just you know hired the new president of baseball operations like what was it like for you know for the younger Illich? like was that a conversation there because i feel like if if we cleaned out the front office here it would be like you know i feel like chris Getz would take over or something right somebody that jerry reinsdorf knows like i just i just don't know if he would dig into one of the the smarter orgs in baseball and get like an assistant gm to take over because i just like don't really think he wants to do something like that because he doesn't want to be told like the way that he runs his baseball team isn't the way that it should be run so he just like keeps internal people around forever so that that would be the interesting part for me if they underachieve again what do they do there so uh, i all right and for chris illich i believe they correct me if i'm wrong chris wasn't it they they hired a kind of consulting firm too right with that and i, I think so yeah because and we were all, I think we were all pleasantly surprised with them going out yeah. and Scott Harris. Like mm-hmm. a lot of us were kind of speculating that it was going to be AJ Hinch or somebody that AJ Hinch was really close with. 
it's sort of to form a team. And then they went out and got a guy who, who had no history with him whatsoever and, you know, really young up and coming executive. So, yeah. yeah. And I like, I, and I like some, of, and I like some of the movies he's made. I mean, like, you know, the soda, I think the soda trade is tremendous. You know, I know you guys wanted to talk White Sox, but I mean, yeah. stuff like that, like when you're bad, like there's no reason to employ bullpen pitchers. Yeah. Look, like if, if one of those guys becomes a regular, I mean, that's a freaking fantastic trade, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I like the, the one of the things that has stood out about this camp too is the guys like Nick Mangton, who, who the guy in the trade who's, we got a home run today. Oh, great. And it's just, yeah. Which was, that's impressive feat, no less. But it's just the, the, the position versatility, which I think for a guy like Andrew Vaughn, who's been, he probably comes back to his natural position. It, that's where I think the Tigers, I mean, the Tigers are not going to be a, a, a playoff team this year, no doubt. But I think that one of the things that's going to be different this year, at least we get to see this variety of, I mean, there's going to be, it's not going to be the same lineup over and over again. It's just for, for to be the mother of invention for necessity. Cause they just, that to me is going to be intriguing because if this is going to be another year, a long year for Tiger fans, and I know all Tiger fans are just complaining on, on, about how long it's been, it's been since 2016. But I, I feel like there's some pieces on the roster now that are, are at least are like, oh, okay, well, Matt Verling's got some interesting upside. And I do like the fact that they have, one of the things in the offseason too, was the fact they go to the waiver wire, like it's nobody's business. Like yeah. I've never, that's a, that's a thing that it, Avila would once in a while would do something. And then you're just like, oh, okay. And, but then when the most obvious choice was supposed to be out there, they just they were fell asleep at the wheel. Yeah, it's something the White Sox actually did this offseason too, where they they grabbed like three or four like relievers off of like and and the guys have been pretty good like in camp. There's a Gregory Santos like has been awesome in spring training. He the young guy that threw really hard for San Francisco. They just didn't have any spots for him and DFA'd him, and the White Sox picked him up. And you know the Franklin German is a guy from from Boston that they grabbed and. It's just like something that the White Sox haven't done. Like they've always kind of gone out and spent money on the Joe Kellys of the world and guys like that. And I feel like when you have limited resources, you should be like creating your own bullpen. Like if you can with cheap flyers like this, and then you could spend your money on like actual players that you need. It's just kind of been a point of contention for me. So yeah, that was like a little bit of a change for the White Sox. I mean, it, like guys as an outsider, like, I mean, you really need Riley Green and Torkelson to be awesome. And like, if that's the case, you know, like maybe you're bad, you know, like I, I know you talked about how last year sucked, but I mean, look, when you're bad, like you got to capitalize on being bad. And the Tigers did that at least. Like it could be worse. Like, you don't, you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to win 77 games if you can win six, you know, and so it's kind of, and, and you don't want to do it three years in a row. Right. But it's not the bottoming out. It's not the worst thing in the world, especially when it gets a guy that, Nobody thinks there's any good at the job fired and you get to bring a guy who you like it. So, you know, it's, it's not all bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we had, we had another question. This was from our, our buddy, Nick Spillane, who was on the show the, earlier this week. I feel terrible that I missed that one. <laughs> Sorry, Dick. But he was asking about prospects. He said, you know, beyond Lennon Sosa, Oscar Colas and, and Colson Montgomery, what White Sox prospects are worth getting excited about? And, and I just, before you get into that, I just also wanted to, Get your thoughts here on on the project Birmingham, yeah, which I thought was really cool. And I, you know, if you want to talk about that some more, that would be cool. 
So we, we got a lot of mixed like feedback on it. There were some guys like we talked to Jim Callis. He thought it was really cool. And Keith Law said like, hey, why the hell not? Like, you know, it's like totally different. I think the people that didn't like it just kind of thought like, you know, they did bump a bunch of guys up to double A that had no business in double A. And it's very easy, I think, to say like, oh, your stats don't count. Like we just, you know, you're here with all these guys that we care about. Like, don't worry about it. But then like, I mean, you're hitting like 089, right? And you're telling these kids like, oh, we don't really care. And they're, but you're like still getting your head kicked in, right? So, I mean, I think everything we kind of heard was positive. It was kind of like a, like an instructs environment or like when the teams had the alternate site, like, so they just like took all their top prospects and put them at Birmingham. And literally our people that cover like in Birmingham said that there's like 50 players in the dugout. Like it was crazy, <laughs> you know, and like they'd use the inactive list or whatever to do it. And I think part of the reason was the White Sox had a really college heavy draft and there's just, there's no short season high rookie ball anymore. So I think they just like wanted to send all these college guys to low Canapolis and they were like, okay, well, we'll just take all these guys and send them to Birmingham. I, I don't know that they would do it again. I don't know that anybody else, you know, would necessarily do it again, but I think it was good. Like you get all your rovers and, you know, your hitting coordinator and your pitching coordinator and all those type of guys, like getting all of their like instructor eyes, like on your top players. I think that part of it was cool, but I mean, you know, I definitely understood both sides. And look, the one thing I liked about it was that it was like something new and it was like different and the white Sox did it because they're not known for like new initiatives. They're really not like they don't, they, they, they are not outside of the box thinkers in most cases. So, and then the prospects, like one guy that's kind of burst onto the scene a little bit, another Cuban third baseman, uh, Brian Ramos. He's like, I think he's going to play the entire season as a 21-year-old at, mm. at Birmingham. He was on some lists. I think he was like 48 in baseball from Kylie McDaniel. He's got big power, plays third. So he'll be at Birmingham. You know, a lot of White Sox prospects go to Birmingham, and it's it's really tough. So, like, when you go there and hit, kind of like Lenny and Sosa did last year, we kind of take notice because it's a, it's a place that's really tough to hit. And then, like I mentioned, like there's some pitchers finally, Noah Schultz, Peyton Paulette, guys along those lines. Christian Mena is like kind of a sleeper pitcher in their top 10. He'll be, he'll be in double A. He's a pretty safe, probably like back end starter. So, and then they, you know, they, they picked 15th, which is higher than they were expecting to pick like in a, in a really good draft. So they should keep adding. Yeah. We, uh, we picked your brain on the present. We picked your brain on the future. I want to ask you about the past. What is your favorite, like, White Sox team. I know the 05 team with like Paul Konerko won the World Series. I know the 2021 team was pretty good. What team, what is your favorite White Sox team? Before, well, I thought I did, I did yeah. one, one quick question and that's involving Cespedes, who seemed like, I don't know, did he take a step back in terms of his, looking at some of his numbers? And he's going to spend two years in double A. Is he any closer? I mean, it's, it's still striking out at 30%. Yeah, clear. not really. I mean, Kind of like what Adam Inkle was, I think. In the, like, I think Cespedes is a big leaguer because he can play all three spots and he's got like a really good outfield arm. He really mashes lefties in the minors. I kind of think that's what he is. I think if he's up, like he'll be like not necessarily a fourth outfielder, but he's probably like a platoon guy that hits lefties and can play the outfield. And they gave him $2 million. Like, I, I just, I don't think he's ever going to hit enough like to be a regular. Like you said, I mean, he's, He's striking out over 30% of the time and he hasn't made it out of double A. I do think kind of what I talked about with the Charlotte Knights earlier, like he could go to Charlotte and the offensive numbers could prop up a little bit just because of that environment. But he hasn't really shown that 
he has like the like the the plate patience or like the discipline or any of that stuff. But he's got big power and a big throwing arm, so he probably plays in the big league. But he's probably a a backup, I would say. So you're, should I answer that other one? Yeah, good. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to chat. I was just making no, no, sure. Yeah, no problem. So I mean, like, look, I think that I think the '06 team was you know, on track to be better than the 05 team. And obviously like Detroit and Minnesota were both awesome that year too. Like the, the White Sox won like 90 games in 06. Like they won the World Series and then they went out and got Javi Vasquez and they traded for Tolmy, you know, and it was super fun in the first half. So that team was fun. But look, I was eight years old in 1993 when the White Sox like ripped my heart out and decided to like, you know, like when, when for the, for the strike, right. Or for the lockout or whatever. And Jerry Reinsdorf was heavily influenced in that. Look, I didn't know any better then. Cause I was eight. I just knew that the team was really good and there wasn't going to be baseball. And like a lot of people and adults in my life thought the White Sox were going to the world series. So, you know, I think that's Frank Thomas is what made me a White Sox fan. I got a lot of Cubs fans in my family and, you know, I could have, I really could have went either way. And I watched both teams, but I love Frank Thomas. So all those teams, but you know, there, there's been a lot of frustrating ones too, though, obviously. Yeah, I think those those early 90s White Sox teams, that was, they kind of captured national attention. And partly, I think, was just the, the, the jersey redesign. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're very culturally like, and again, the hip hop world, like they were like, yeah, super, yeah they're like super popular. And I remember that was, it was the, the, the rotation of Jack, Mc, Jack McDowell, Adrian, or Alex Fernandez. Wilson Alvarez. Yeah. Jason Gray, I, know. Yeah. I think the White Sox had, like, in the 90s, they had four straight first-round picks of Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura, Alex Fernandez, and I think Jack McDowell. McDowell, those their, yeah. Those are four straight first-rounders. You know, I mean, that's that's pretty good. And they always found a way to add guys like Reigns or, well, like, Harold Baines played forever. And some of those teams, you know, so Puts yeah, those teams, those teams were fun. Yeah, exactly. This I used so, to like Vance Johnson. Yeah. The White Sox always had, and even like, that's the Kenny Williams joke and Kenny Williams is still around and has an office or whatever. Like Kenny always gets his guy. That's like our joke here. So even like the 08 team that, uh, that made the playoffs, you know, and beat the twins in like that blackout game where I'm like, they got late, they got Ken Griffey Jr. And played him in center when he was, four, you know, like, it's just like the White Sox had Manny Ramirez for, 30 games like back in I don't even remember what year that is they had Bo Jack they had Bo Jack yeah too. like the, the White Sox have always done this where they just get some guy that Kenny's wanted forever and he finally gets him once he's bad like it, that's now like <laughs> people think that the White Sox will one day have 42 year old Manny Machado playing third base so I wouldn't surprise I mean and then again <laughs> like, yeah. they didn't have Albert Bell too after they had they've signed Albert Bell too. that big deal well, so they had Albert Bell like they had like two of his best years ever so that was back when so Jerry Reinsdorf didn't spend then either and everybody kind of said that he would never spend and then after the lockout he signed he like went against his other owners and like signed the biggest contract at the time he signed Albert Bell but then Albert Bell like had like an opt-out in his contract that triggered after year two and he went to Baltimore and kind of like flamed away or whatever but yeah those he was awesome here like, yeah, like, I remember the uh, the 2012 team, the one that gave the Tigers a run for the division. They fin- the White Sox finished second. They had Adam Dunn, who Adam Dunn. All I remember was he would either homer or strike out. I don't know. Was he a free agent signing for them, or did they trade for Adam Dunn? He was a free agent signing. Yeah, but you still had Paul Konerko at the end of his career. Perzinski, Alexei Ramirez, Tigers legend Gordon Beckham. They had him. 
that that was a, a fun team in 2012. I I was remember as a kid. Hey, I was hey guys, to them. Can, yeah. I, can I run for a second? I'm sorry. No, James, I was just gonna say if you wanted, I just wanted to plug your podcast. What do you have coming up? And then we'll let's let's get out of here. Yep, just we every Tuesday, Future Socks podcast. Hey, James, thanks hey, for James, taking thanks the time. So man. Thanks, man. See ya. Thanks, guys. I was trying to wrap it up anyway, so it kind of worked out. It worked out as a statement. I like the I like the motion blur as he goes away. I mean, that was that was nice. He he obviously knows his stuff. It's good to hear somebody you know with the good tabs on the the big league club and keeping an eye on the minors and and being realistic about your team and your owner. But yeah. it's always good when you run into fans who have just kind of a little bit of jaundice, like ah, yeah. these guys are a bunch of bums. Yeah, Crystal. <laughs> we usually have Crystal Keith on from yeah. she's she's fantastic, but I always like to bring in a variety. We should. Some point we're gonna have to bring in Sarah Sanchez, talk Cubs. We haven't, it's been long overdue for that. So, there's probably gonna, if I was gonna reach out to the twins for whatever reason, though, we've had people on from the twins and it's been really streaky. Like, I've asked some people, we had Seth Stros on and he was really weird and like just followed me and then stopped following me on Twitter. And it was just so, I don't know, it's, I don't know, it's the dynamic I'll never understand. So, how people are, <laughs> I really, I really don't. And that's, we try to get every we try to get teams in the division. We do have a Royals guy, Max Reaper, who is a good friend of the show. So we'll probably talk some Royals at some point in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, the season starts next Thursday. We got to get our minor league roster projections out. Yeah, crap. <laughs> um, we got to get that done. Man. Yeah, and it's hard to believe it's it's crept up on us this year. Like March Madness kind of crept on me this year, and and uh, maybe because Michigan was just so brutal. Maybe. But, yeah, and now we're here. We're we're heading towards the final four. But no, I, you know, I get excited whenever baseball comes around. Even though I know the Tigers aren't going to do much this year, it's it's still, it's fun. Like, I I've been getting bummed this spring when I'm seeing their lineup that doesn't have like the regulars. Like today, I was like, ah, I really because the regulars are still it's still guys that are fun. That's Green and Torkelson and Maton and Veerling. Like these are all interesting guys. I'm going to want to watch him play this year. So want to see Meadows kind of break out of his funk. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to the season, even though I know you know by mid-May I'm gonna be like, oh boy. <laughs> so let's let's go right into the good and the bad, the ugly this week. And Chris, I'll start with you. What is your good and the bad, the ugly? All right. So my good this week is Dylan Cruz. Now this is not a surprise. Everybody knew he was a very good player. He was, you know, most people projected him to be the number one pick in the draft, uh, or you know, strongly in contention for that. But uh, He's been ridiculous so far. He has he's got a 1583 OPS through 21 games. He is 35 for 68 to begin the year. It's a 515 average <laughs> with 10 doubles, six homers, 25 walks, and 10 strikeouts. So yeah, just ridiculous numbers. And this is a bonus good. And I was just talking to Roger about this the other day. You know, a couple of years ago, when the Tigers drafted Colt Keith, I went back and dug up a high school All Star game on on YouTube where, or I found out on ESPN or something where Colt Keith, you, you get to see him get a hit, and then you get to see him pitch. And he pitches against Enrique Bradfield, who's going to be a first-rounder this year, strikes him out. He gets Kevin Parada, who was a first-round last year, and he strikes out Dylan Cruz. So Colkey could do it all. So that was, I don't know, there's kind of a bonus good there. My my bad is, I don't know, this isn't exactly new, but it kind of just seen him pitch the other day reminded me of it. It's it's Mike Soroka. No, it's, it's a, just a reminder of how much baseball can suck sometimes, where, you know, he was once – looked like the very best of a of an incredibly deep crop of young Atlanta Braves pitching, which included like Mike Fultonevich and, you know, that lefty who couldn't throw strikes. I forgot his name. And you got Colby Allard and, and you had, you know, 
Ian Anderson and Max Fried and all these guys, Joey Wentz at Soroka came up to the majors at 20, was awesome in 2019, went 13 and four with a 268 ERA, came second in rookie of the year voting, 174 innings, just like looked like he was going to be a real, maybe not an ace, but like at least a, a solid number two, number three. And then he pitched just three games in, in 2020 before blowing out his Achilles, which sucks. And then he came back and was almost back and then blew it out again. Oh, almost all of last year, got back, made it to the minors last year, AAA, five starts, but they shut him down with sh shoulder soreness. Then he was, you know, going to be healthy this spring, going to compete for a roster spot, but had a hamstring injury. So he just made his spring training debut the other day against the Tigers. I don't even know if he completed, I think he threw like 30 pitches and he's been optioned down to the minors. And it's just like, man, this, he's still only 25, but the kid hasn't pitched in the bigs in like three years. And it's just, it's just a bummer because you hope you can come back from that. Like, I was talking with my buddy the other day, like Zach Wheeler had a stretch like that where it just looked like he was never going to be healthy. And guys like that generally don't. You end up like Hunter Harvey. And then Zach Wheeler was like, hey, you know what? No, I'm just going to be an ace and also be durable. <laughs> like, all right, fine. But so, yeah, hopefully something Soroka can do something like that. And not that the Braves necessarily need him, but it's just for the kids' sake, you know? Yep. He's a Canadian. We got to root for our, our Northern friends. All right. You uh, what? Oh, go ahead. My oh, ugly. Ahead which I, I brought up briefly earlier, is the Tigers' bullpen. And I, I complained about the Tigers' bullpen last year and was quickly proven wrong. But, boy, things are not looking great right now. Basically, the, the best-looking arms this spring have been guys who were, we talked about earlier, are probably going to have to be added, like Wingenter and Shreve. And Engler has been great, so that's nice. But uh, all the guys that we kind of penciled in have looked bad. So you got Alex Lang. He's got eight walks and six innings. Tyler Alexander, a six ERA, 11 hits and nine innings. Jose Cisnero, an eight four four ERA, 11 hits and five and a third. Jason Foley, a seven one one ERA, nine hits and six innings. Garrett Hill, also a seven eleven ERA with 11 hits and 10 earned runs and 12 innings. Bo Brisky, a nine thirty five ERA. And Will Vest, a 29-25 ERA. <laughs> so it's like, boy, you know, it, I hope that they some of them get it together early in the season or it's going to be really ugly because the Tigers aren't going to be, you know, putting their starters deep into games the first few weeks. So these guys have to figure it out soon or else, so yeah, it, things are going to get uh, nasty. Yeah, I mean, Lang had not bad of a game today. He had generated five swings and misses, was hitting around 96 to 97. He did have a walk in his inning, but he did have a couple strikeouts. So no hard hit contact given up too, so which was – a different sight to see from the Tiger relievers so far this spring. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy, I think he walked more people than, or had a higher walk rate than Gregory Soto last year. So, you know, out of the frying pan and into the whatever. Yeah, but people, fire, people were ragging yeah, on Soto like, so much. He's a piece. Yeah, and, and I would expect we'll see it with Lang this year, too, if he does take over the closer role, because that's kind of who he is, too. He's a guy who's going to lose the strike zone at time. So, yeah, it's 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 now become my biggest concern for this team. All right, Uper, what is your good and the bad yoga this week? Oh, my good. I was hedging, hemming and hawing. I was going to go with Ryan Kreidler, but I didn't. But Kreidler, just quick note, having a nice spring, putting up some decent numbers. I mean, spring training stats don't tell the whole story. I know he had a couple of kind of kind of soft hits, too, but that's fine. I think it's at least a step in the right direction if he doesn't make the opening day roster. He's looking good, and, well, he's worth watching when at Toledo. But my real good is Riley Green, getting more and more excited about the regular season. Really, if you watch now and see some video, and if you've watched the games, listen to the games, I'm liking what I'm seeing in terms of the at-bats, 
he's looking a little more aggressive to me. You know, one thing Keith Law mentioned the other day was that one of the things to fix is one of his problems last year was a good thing. He was taking too many strikes. Yeah. And he said, that's something that's actually, you can, is easier to fix than, you know, swinging and missing too much. So hopefully we see some of that. Keith Law had him, you know, for what it's worth, really high on his list of players to break out this year. And I think we could see that. And what I liked about what Law said was he was right around where I was the other week when we talked about him. What's a good season for Riley Green? You know, if he hits about 280 with about 18 to 20 home runs, you know, puts up a three and a half war season, boy, then, then it's really Katie bar the door from there. You know, we, we could go a lot of good places starting next year. So that was my good. Riley Green, be excited. My bad was kind of funny today. I get home from work. I flip on Jeopardy. And the category, I forget the exact name of the category, but it was like famous JVs, right? Yeah. And one of the, the answer is they show a picture of Kate Upton and J Justin Verlander. And they basically ask, who is he, right? And mm -hmm. got three blank stares back at the, at the screen from the three contestants. So JV's creating not quite where he wants it to be. Yeah. He, he doesn't do well with the Jeopardy demographic, evidently. So I thought that was kind of fun. My ugly. Always a good thing to have a chance to say, screw you, Rob Manfred, right? What in the name of Bobby Savoy is going on? Now, we all know Bobby Savoy from The Natural. He was the bad boy. Maybe had a few extra donuts now and then. A couple extra pieces of bread and peanut butter, okay? A little hefty, a little mobility challenged, perhaps. But the kid picked the winner. He made that bat. He put that bat in Robert Redford's hand and that ball went out of the stadium. And in Rob Manfred's world of these days, that kid's out because they're going to be timing the bat boys and bat girls yep. right now. If they're not doing the job on the field to keep the game moving, they're getting replaced. So I want to know who is doing the bat boy and bat girl evaluation. And what are the metrics they're setting up for these bad boys? <laughs> are they playing a stopwatch on the bad boys? You've got to be kidding me. That just so sounds like... the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Yeah, they're yeah. going to actually rip the uniform off some poor kid. <laughs> he stumbled once over the third baseline. I mean... They're giving me a break. You know, also, and it's probably not a huge deal, but it, to me, it's a big deal. Are you saying now that no kid with some slight disability can ever be a bat boy in your league. Okay. And they're just out because you know, they're not running a good 40. You didn't do, are they going to have a combine for these kids? <laughs> the I, moving right. Absolutely absurd. Yeah. You know what? Look, no one likes being micromanaged. And so it, to me, this is just another example being micromanaged. I mean, you know, it, it's the same. You can speak in the same vein of say, I don't know. Somebody's working from home. And you're constantly checking in with them and texting them all the time. That could be the same thing with, with with this. I mean, it's one of those things where you could. The bad boy's like, well, well, you're forty times slowing down. Look like we're gonna get a new one. No, no, no. And it's just like, all right, we're gonna call him the lefty. We're gonna call him the lefty bat boy. Or it's just it is. It seems like a little discrimination, a little bit on that. So yeah, yeah. I imagine they're just gonna raid raid all the tennis kids, the little tennis, the the net hiders. You know, those little kids that. They just 
you know, crouch down all day and then sprint. It all just, the chunk kids who are catchers in Little League, they can't be bat boys now. I mean, come on. It, yeah, it feels ridiculous because, like, we've seen, like, how much more time do you need to save? They've, they're saving, like, 25 minutes now, and, in, in, like, it feels good. It's good. We don't need to save much more. Yeah. Well, it's okay. Come up with this. Who the hell decided that's a good press release to put out? We're going to be timing these children. Okay, we're, we're really going to put the hammer down on these kids. And they thought, hey, this is something we should get out there because we're going to speed up the game. You ought to be kidding me. Well, you know, it's funny is that in the same token, what's fine that I think they did it and they thought it was going to be a slow news day or something. And they just thought, and MLB always does this too. They find a way where they think it's no one's paying attention. They just slip through this kind of thing. Same thing. They're trying to pass legislation right now in Florida. I think it was today. They were voting on the treat minor league players even minimum wage for Christ's sake. I mean, the, the, this is where we're heading with minor league players down there. And it's just, it's, yeah, all all the same day. So apparently, yeah, they don't want they want faster, and they also want cheaper. Mm. And it's just it's meanwhile the one of the World Baseball Classic has outstanding ratings and all this new you you know you know for a fact that and and also you know at the same token too yesterday I think it was announced the so if you have an Apple if you're an Apple subscriber mm-hmm. you will be able to get those games, but if you don't get it, you're blacked out. Yep. So they still found a way to screw over the fan. So, but yeah, so the, as far as Riley Green, well, I'll talk about Riley Green, my good, bad, ugly, but John, take it away. What is your good, bad, ugly? So my year was a kill, but my first initial like roster prediction, I didn't have him on there, but I think I've changed my mind now. He's looked pretty good near the end of spring. Is hit two home runs in the last week. Still drawing some walks. Well, still striking out a bit too much. I think he did have a four strikeout game earlier in spring, but I just think, like when we have the Carpenter versus Badu debate, I think Badu just probably a better fielder. He's a better base runner. He has three stolen bases this year. He's probably just going to add a little bit more to the team. So I definitely could see him. I think he will make the opening day roster and probably start against right-handed pitchers for the Tigers, at least to start the season. My bad, well, this isn't really a bad, but it was like the Mike Trout at bat versus Shohei Otani. I watched the end of it. And just seeing Otani, he pumped like two fastballs by Trout. Like two of them were like right down the middle. And Trout just missed both of them. And then he got him on a, a nasty pitch. I don't know if it was a slider or a cutter, but it was just a perfect pitch. And he, he made Mike Trout look like he didn't look like Mike Trout against Shohei Otani. And then kind of piggy banking off that, my ugly was just I saw on first take, there was some comment by Christopher Russo, which I'm not a big fan of his. I don't, he always seems to be very negative on his show. And he was saying, like, Mike Trout, like, always strikes out or something. I don't know exactly what what he was getting into, but it got a lot of hate from the baseball community. And I, I don't know. I feel like shows like First Take and, and all those bigger shows never really have too much positive things to say about baseball. They're always, you know, got something to say that's going to make the fans mad. And that was definitely one of them. I don't know if you guys want to elaborate more, if you have more oh, information. Oh, I do. I have. Oh, oh do well, I, I mean, those, oh, those, do those I shows are always. You know, they cast a wide net. They're they're a mile wide, and then but they're an inch deep when it comes to facts. Yeah. yeah. Like, so here, uh, here's here's the audio, by the way, of this. Make this out to be an epic at bat. Really? What is Gibson and Eckersley then in the World Series in Game One when Gibson hobbled around the bases also and hit good. the home run against Eckersley, Dodgers A's in '88, one of the great right. home runs in the history of baseball. World Series. Absolutely. Okay, well, well then, but hold it now. Did you see the headlines today? Epic at bat. Incredible moment. What? But why? Because they're teammates. I mean, and Trout does nothing but strike out. 
Fouch oh took God. out twice in the game. He strikes out. You know, everybody talks to me about Trout and DiMaggio. I mean, Trout strikes out 175. Dead, dead. This is the garbage you're giving. That's to me. Say that to anybody. Stop. Chris Russell. Look, he knows what he's 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 joined the machine. He knows what he's doing. Trout doesn't strike out that much. Sorry, folks, he doesn't. So, again, I don't know what he was watching. I mean, was he watching another replay of the 87 Yankees? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't understand. Look, I love, I love just in terms of, yeah, and, and you're right. Elton's about this. National media doesn't watch baseball. They're, they're, they are fraudulent. But I love, I'm old school. I like a lot of old things. But I do not understand how people do not see evolution of things. If baseball is getting better because of players like this, moments like this, that's a moment that is circulates across the world. And you're going to sit there and hmm. we're going to talk about Eckersley and Gibson. Yeah, we've seen it a million that's, times. It still Enough. exists. It still it exists. exists. Nobody said this overtakes it. I got, I got quick points for all three of John's things. So number one, Badu's arm actually looks better this spring too. He threw a guy out at third today. He almost did the other day. That Otani pitch, as is is what Savant now classifies as a sweeper, it's a slider. But uh, somebody was doing like they do breakdowns of of pitch quality on the twenty to eighty scouting scale, and they gave that pitch at eighty one. <laughs> it broke the scouting scale because of the velocity, the movement, and the location. It was absolutely perfect. Yeah, and the Christopher Russo thing to, to Raj's point, it is he's part of the machine. This is all they care about is getting people to talk, right? It, and this is something that that's made Skip Bayless millions of dollars. You have you have a topic. One person chooses one side, the other person chooses the other side. No matter how ridiculous it is to pick the wrong side, you could say like, "Yeah, freedom's pretty good." Like, I don't know, I, you know, how do you know freedom's good if you've not been caged for your whole life? It's yeah. So it it they want they want us to talk about it, and you know, Christopher Russo is obviously being dumb there. Like, yeah, what is, you know, Mike Trout, all he does is strike out. Also, he's been the best player in baseball for the past 10 years, possibly one of the best players of all time, going up against, oh, one of the other best players of all time. Yeah, nothing compelling there whatsoever. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the the Kendrick Perkins thing on first take as well, where he was kind of, I don't want to get too much into it because it's a bit controversial, but it was about the MVP and about, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, like that, that to me, it's like, what are we doing here, like? Don't even get me started. I don't know. I don't know. As far as I know, with I was actually, I'm glad you brought that out too, because it gives me a chance to, one of the things that about, first of all, just totally off base with that whole thing. And this is something that happened to him today. Actually, it was actually, it was, I think it was, no, maybe it was yesterday, I think. I, I don't know. But anyways, it's crazy. I think this happened to him yesterday. Here? With a, I, yeah, I don't know if that's real or not, but I hope it is because he's, I he's just awful. I'm sorry, like yeah, I'm I'm so sick of these former players just getting jobs just because they're former players. Like, there's a difference between being like a basketball analyst and being a former player, and just because off your name value, you're given a job. Like Kendrick Perkins clearly does not watch basketball. Like any basketball fan can see that. It's just it's frustrating. No, he hasn't been fired. It was just yeah, yeah. it was a thing that it was. Kind of thought he would. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, and even yeah, that that whole thing. 
anyway, let's just let's go on baseball conversation to end the podcast. So my good this week, and it, it involves the Tigers too. And I would have to give it to Ryan Kreidler because you guys mentioned it. And I, mean, I did a report on Riley Green. I did a story that he's going to break out this year because some of the outfield numbers that look at some of the outs last year that could potentially be hits. And he was among the top 15 in outfield jump. And so the route, and I was talking about this with Chris earlier, as Chris pointed out, the routes he takes are not exactly there, but he has very good first step instincts. And this was something that we noticed all the way, all the way back from his days at West Michigan, where he just, he just distinctively out there in the out, almost like he looked like a, it was like, looking for something to happen. And I thought his first step was always a really good one. And he continues to do that. So I think the the he's going to benefit the most with the fence changes coming in. And so, but as far as Kreider goes, look, the, the more Kreider can do on the defensively on the field, the better. And now he's actually hitting, which was something he wasn't doing before. And this is, this is where he's batting 271. He, He's got 13 hits. I mean, he's among the team, top three team leaders in hits. And so at this point, you can't really ignore it. And it was something, I think we talked about this last year, where I think I think Chris said it, where it was just along the lines of, you see him as a major leaguer, if he can, you know, sort of drawing walks and, and that. And yeah, is he is he drawing a lot of walks? Or, I mean, that's actually pretty good for him, honestly. Like, he's not... You're not seeing that kind of like out of the control swing. Again, this is spring training, so we just got to keep things in perspective. Always important to remember that. But Kreider's definitely helped this case and made it very, very difficult for the Tigers to do that. And the other part of my good, by the way, talking about 100 miles per hour, Duran from Minnesota today, just gas, 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 gas. Mm -hmm. Talk about he had four pitches in 100 miles an hour in spring training. Just like, man, whatever. And in the same game, too, Nate Pearson for Toronto, who the J the Jays can get a healthy Nate Pearson, that's gonna be a difference maker in the L East. That's gonna be a really big difference for him, honestly, because that guy has had tremendous upside, but he's been, I think, back injuries, I think it's been. Yep. So that's that's a good arm for the Jays to have. But Kahuchi, by the way, 15 swings and misses for the Jays today. 15. So the Jays rotation can stay healthy. That'll that'll help him a long way. My bad this week, you know, honestly, like I was just thinking about this from a perspective of anybody that did a bracket. I, I know this is not baseball related, but March Madness brackets are literally have your AI do it. Have, if ESPN tells you to do it or maybe have your girlfriend or whomever, significant other, do your bracket for you, let your dog do it. Just don't waste your time on it because it's just, it's just a waste. And uh, that, in terms of like, and even the other part of my bad too is all the people who are hating on the WCBC just to be either, they're just pretty much trolls at that point. I just think that the World Baseball Classic was good. It was very, very good this year. And I don't think we're going to see a tournament like that for, a, I mean, it's, it's going to be again until what, 2027? It is. Right. Was it 26 26? or 27? 26, yeah. 26. Yeah. And so the, and my ugly, involves the farm system rankings that came out that came out dropped today so ranking all the farm systems and again one of those things that we can tell like based off in sam dykstra on the mail jim callis have a lot of work they they do a lot of work they put a lot into it they talk to a lot of people so the tigers came in and if you care about this kind of stuff this is where I know that people are gonna sit there and and, and point to this and go well look they said that the tigers are 
they're 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 ranked near the bottom. They're twenty fifth. So I understand that, 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 but the reason why it's not the reason why I think it's ugly in the sense of it's kind of superficial. And take away from the fact that we're we follow the Detroit Tigers for a moment. Think about that for a moment. You have guys like Cole Keith. You have Isaac Pacheco. You have there's other names can be out there, but if you look at the history of it. One and and Chris pointed this out brilliantly earlier. You know a team that's never in the top five, top ten, but always good every year? The Cardinals. The Cardinals. The Cardinals do it every year. They they they're just one of those teams that consistently gets it done. And you look at I mean, I'm just looking at the looking at the history and we're just going through and going, well, here's here's Seattle coming in at number two last couple of years. LA's in there too, but you look through the rest of the list, the Astros. You know where the Astros were in 2016, 2017 rather? Ninth. They were among, they're in top 10. But did that mean, does the number one team mean that you're going you're gonna to have the best in the World Series? No, look at the Padres. Four years in a row, or excuse me, four straight preseason or rankings, they were number one. It doesn't, I, I, Tiger fans are just, the one thing, it's not even Tiger fans, it's just, the rankings are subjective, and it's ugly because it's just it, it ruins a mindset of a fan already. Without they get into the superficial things of it all. In all reality, I think the Tiger system is a lot better than the rankings. And these guys have to do all the systems, and, and a lot of players cover that. And so, I don't. Know, that's just that's yeah. It. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of it is just you know, you know, it's it's impossible to pay attention to every prospect in every system. And pay attention to the the changes they made. Like, if we were to do another top thirty right now, I I I might have Parker Meadows number one or two in the system. Yeah, based on how he's performing and his defensive ability now, where even if he doesn't hit that much, he's still going to be you know close to an average center fielder. And Joey mm-hmm. Wentz is technically a prospect. He looks like he could be a mid rotation starter. We talked about Keith. There, yeah, it's it's these things move rapidly, and. You know, they're just a, a snapshot in time, and I don't think the industry has caught up to what the Tigers' young players can do. And, and you know, you see that when you still see guys like, you know, still see Jace Young ranked first or second in, in a list. Yeah. And that's just based on his, you know, his draft pedigree. That It's not really based right. on any mm-hmm. any production. And I don't know. So just just go to our site. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, go to TigersMLReport.com because, yeah. you know, we are, I mean, by the way, speaking of which, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because next Friday begins the, the 2023 Modern League Tour, as we'll be, we'll be live, we'll be there for yes. opening, we'll be there for opening day, so. Toledo. <laughs> which is like a big, it's the biggest party in Toledo. We went last year, and, and remember, it was cold in the stadium, and like, where is everybody? And you went up to the suite level. And it was just a big drunken fiasco. Oh yeah, that was that was crazy. I was, it was wild. I didn't know that they got done like that in Toledo, but I guess it makes sense. Yeah, didn't they have like a bunch of jeeps out there too? Like they have that Jeep Row again. Didn't they? Well, there's like a there's like a Jeep Fest down there too. But I don't I don't know. If I always feel like there's a separate. Jeep Fest every time we get yeah. out there. <laughs> I think Toledo is just the Jeep Fest of cities. Well, I mean, Jeeps are obviously factor there, but still, it is kind of strange even on opening or no matter what day it is. But no, we'll be out there for that, and then. On April 11th, we'll be out for Erie for opening day. We'll be out there for two days for that because, again, do not, if you're going out to Erie, do yourself a favor. Do not drive back the same day. 
not worth it. Yeah. Not worth yeah. it. I mean, John, as a young buck, you might be able to do that, but I don't know, man. But John, yeah, John's going to be, as of next week, John's not going to be with us for a couple, for a week. He's going to be on <laughs> spring break. John will yeah, no longer be with us. We, uh, I didn't mean it's ritual that execution. <laughs> no, no, I have fun on spring break, man. That's that's good. I, I, my son, like all of his friends are going down to Florida. So it's like me and me hanging out with my boy. One thing, not to switch the subject, but you, when you were talking about Jeopardy, I almost yes. thought you were going to bring up the woman yesterday that everybody was talking about. I don't know if you saw this, where people were saying she pulled a Cliff Clavin. She had, she was up by like 15,000 with oh. like, with like a thousand dollars left on the board and got a daily double and bet ten thousand and and missed it and then lost and and she could have just walked away basically nobody could have caught her and she blew it she it was an own goal epic own goal yeah I, people were like oh my god it was one of the worst things anybody's ever seen but, uh, <laughs> yeah that was crazy and then this, the other woman the other day before all she had to do was bet an extra like fifty like a hundred dollars more and she could have iced it okay she would have had a runaway. She didn't bet enough, and then the last question meant something. She ended up winning, but it was yeah. colossally stupid. I mean, it was just bad math. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. why I could never honestly like if, if I had to do math on a spot on Jeopardy, I would fail. I, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I can't bust out the calculator and forget about it. That's why I'm a communications major, or that's why I have a degree in communications. So, do you have any other questions, Chris? Did we miss or did we get them all? So, we, the only three questions I saw were all about the White Sox. The only we had the deadly ninja bees question about how many games can the Sox expect to get from Jimenez and, and Robert before they get hurt. But I mean, yeah, probably assume that those guys will deal with some injuries. It, it's different though. Like, like Eloy Jimenez seems to get hurt because he's just a big galoot in the outfield. Yeah. He's just, yeah. he just he needs to be a DH. And with Robert, it's like he gets hurt because he's he's like the Zion Williamson hurt. Like he's just a thousand percent muscle. And when you do that, like the muscle just breaks constantly because you don't have enough fat on you. Yeah, that's some that's brutal right there. But so, at any rate, thanks so much for listening to Woodward Tigers here at WoodwardSports.com. Stay tuned. Like I said, the as far as next week goes, we'll be we'll be live in Toledo. We'll be breaking. We'll be there'll be some roster breakdowns at TigerMLReport.com. Some more content. We're busting out content there. We got the there's profiles over there. So the first ten profiles are up. So if you go to TigersMLReport.com and go to click on the scouting reports, it's or top twenty five and it's scouting reports they're right there and answer alex's question real fast in youtube how many wins do you think toledo will get this year i think they're a playoff team i think they i think toledo is going to make the playoffs they're they're i think they're going to be really good i think toledo is going to be a pretty fun team to watch they yeah i mean it's, it's always hard to tell based on you know who who's on the roster who might the tigers need but yeah they, they've they've this is one of the things we talked about with scott harris right that he's He's been improving the team on the margins a lot through those waiver acquisitions and things like that. And a lot of those guys are going to be down in Toledo for most of the year. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that bullpen's going to be stacked. Yeah. They should be, a, they should be a solid team for sure. And then it's a matter of like, does Colt Keith start there? How long does Parker Meadows play there? Is, is Justin Henry Loy there all year? Is Kreidler there? Lipsius? I mean, there's some quality players down there. So yeah, they should, they should be a fun team to watch this year, which you know, doesn't always happen in AAA. Yeah, I was thinking, what are the chances that Toledo's bullpen can be better than maybe one or two other major league bullpens? Because I just, I, their bullpen, I don't know. I really like their I mean, bullpen. I mean, it might be better than the Nationals' bullpen. I, I don't know. I mean, I without doing a deep dive on it, I mean, it might be better than the Tigers' bullpen. Uh, well, I mean, 
the road to 75, the road 75 to Toledo is good. I mean, it, that's going to be a busy. That, yes, they yeah. will be. 100%. You're, I mean, you're going to have probably, you know, Brendan White, Alvarado, Miguel Diaz, maybe. Yeah, definitely Diaz. Lucetta, yeah, so, probably. Lucetta, yeah. If, if they, they may, they may, <coughs> excuse me. That's one of the things we, we, there are going to be some roster moves here soon. They're going to have to get yeah. these non roster invitees on the, on the roster. The guy from the Cardinals, right? Yeah, Jack. Excuse me. Yeah, Pacheco. They they also um, Rosenthal. Eventually, I think they're going to want to get him on the forty man, probably. So so we should Jose Alvarez. Yeah, I don't know what they're. No, gonna no he's, he's going to be because... yes, he, Tommy John, right? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah right. but, but yeah, there, there's going to be some guys on the forty man. Like, it wouldn't shock me if Uceda and Holton get removed from the forty man, and they try to keep keep them. But just one of those things where they try to sneak them through waivers. And Ronnie Garcia, maybe. And I, we talked about it before. We don't want to yell about Zach Short, but. You know, there is some redundancy there, especially if you see Ryan Kreidler playing center field and second base and third base and shortstop. So there they're, they're going to be some difficult roster decisions soon. I don't know if they can, you know, Tyler Nevin, he was playing well, but got hurt. I don't, you don't ever want to, you know, ding a guy for getting hurt. But, you know, if you're not on the field, there's not much they can do. And they may try to sneak him through waivers too. So I don't know. I, I There's going to be some fairly... I don't know. I don't want to say substantial, but there's going to be a decent amount of roster movement here in the next week or so. Yeah, my biggest question is, will they carry three catchers? I I think they really want to. I just don't know if they can justify putting Donnie Sands on the roster. I don't even think it's Donnie Sands. Yeah, at this point, I think it would be Nap. Nap's got a better spring. Which would be another 40-man move. I do do think Hinch kind of secretly likes having three catchers. Not not so secretly, even. Yeah, he's mentioned it too, yeah. But but yeah, that's just one of that's that feels like more of a luxury too. That's like something that, that the Astros can do, theoretically. Yeah, not the Tigers so much, but yeah. So on that note, yeah, we'll be back on Sunday. I'm sure by Sunday, I think the Tigers. If I look at the schedule, the looking at the schedule ahead for the Tigers this coming weekend, you look at the fact that Sunday will be their last spring training game. So by then, by Monday or Tuesday, we might actually wait till Monday or Tuesday till the rosters finalized. I don't know about you guys, but I think I'd rather wait to see what the roster looks like, and then do a show. We'll see how it all plays out. So either mon- Sunday or Monday will be our next episode as the Tigers finalize. To, they'll play the re- final regular season, or excuse me, final spring training game against the Rays at 1 o'clock before they play the Rays again, the opener on Thursday at 3.10. And so then they the close out. They have the Pirates tomorrow, excuse me, on Friday, and then Saturday they have the Jays. So easy to do a game on television? No. No. So if, well, I, I'm not sure about uh, maybe the Jays on television, on, on ML, if you have MLB TV, I watch that. So but yeah, yeah. yeah. the answer Sojo's question rapid fast about to get out of here. They might win. Well, the, well, the Tigers win 10 games before they lose 20. Yes. Games, is what yeah. asking. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Nope, yeah. I think they're, they're a little better than they are last year. So, but I don't know. We'll, we'll talk to everybody soon. Have a good week weekend, everybody. Talk to you this Sunday or Monday. That'd be a a fun one to bet on. Oh.